That is not going in. I saw you. I saw you recording. (laughs) (laughs) Not going in. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyway, um, she wakes. She vapes. She walks. (laughs) She takes a melatonin. She goes back to bed. She forgets. She uh. She does ketamine. She does ketamine. (laughs) She forgets. She dissociates. She ruins her life. She gets arrested driving too fast and not respecting a yield sign while in a K-hole. She follows a nostalgic jam band act around the country. She disappoints her parents. (laughs) That that probably happened first. That's really a chicken or the egg situation when it comes to following jam bands around. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Television Blues Podcast. I am Daniel Scott Lyons. I am Dan Enden. Um, today we're going to do something that's perfectly splendid. We're going to talk about the daunting of Bly Manor. Um, a show, Netflix show, isn't it? A show where you can be Irish, you can be Scottish, you can be British, you can be any fake accent you want, but they'll all sound the same. Dicks. Um, today we're going to do one of our two Halloween specials. Um, next week we're going to be blasting out some Lawnmower Man with our buddy Steven Lasker. Blasting him. Um, today we're going to be blasting all over ourselves with a review of a 10-hour opus um, that is from our boy Mike Flanagan. Yeah, um, probably the most anticipated piece of media in the Movie Blues universe so far, given that I, I believe... Haunting of Hill House is the only thing that we've both given a 10 out of 10 so far. Yeah, I I think that it was really one of our initial positive bonding media experiences, so it's only right that in 2020 it'll be ruined like everything else for us. Um, As if my year couldn't be fraught with any more tragedy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was just waiting for the moment where the overall underlying message became extremely anti-Semitic in this show, just to really drive the final fucking nail home for me. Just to make sure that we definitely were going to pot on it. Yeah. <laughs> the last scene was like the lady of the lake comes back out and, and grabs a cop and drags him into the lake. Yeah. Suddenly the scoreboard would be reversed. What do you what do you feel that Dr. Patel's opinion from anti-coronavirus was on, on this show? Uh, on, on The Haunting of Blind Manor? Yeah. Um, well, you know, in, in these COVID times, I'm sure that he didn't want people getting as close as they were in this movie. Um... Dr. Patel wants everybody to know that just because you are a ghost doesn't mean you can't get the corona. So, <laughs> everybody uh, wear your full body condoms from here on out. <clears throat> We're going in. Um, yes. I guess we should give our basic impressions of this one uh, before yeah. we dive too deeply into it. Now, as Dan was alluding to, um, not only did we love The Haunting of Hill House, which is a also 10-episode adaptation of a classic horror work reimagined by Mike Flanagan, who's the director of uh, Dr. Sleep, Oculus, Hush, 
uh, and then Gerald's game, which the sh <laughs> which is the shitty uh, metric that we that's kind of like in the in the minor, major, and crap king categories. Now we've just got like <laughs> yeah. Gerald's game or Doctor Sleep. Yeah, Gerald Gerald's around. game is like when um when you go to like Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, you know how you can stand in four states at once. <laughs> Gerald game. Is that in terms of all the different quadrants of king quality? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we really need to print this out in some sort of graph form. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we just would need for um, our Stephen King verse and our Mike Flanagan verse just a Venn diagram with each author or movie maker's name in each circle and then the middle circle just being trash. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you looked at um, a, a map of Mike Flanagan's universe in... You know, it'd be like his kids, and then they'd be circling, like there'd be his wife on the semi inner circle, and it would all be based around uh, Carla. Gubino. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she'd be in the center. This dude has such an affinity for this woman that he will shoehorn her into roles to which she does not belong <laughs> at, at, at every opportunity. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> so today um, we watched the second season of Hill House, as I've been accidentally referring to it for several months. Um, not until I realized how much I was going to dislike this one did I really start making a point to differentiate them. Um, before I watched it, I was like, Dan, the next season of Hill House is coming out. And then three episodes in, I was like, Bly Manor sucks. <laughs> yeah, I, kept, I kept correcting you. And I was just like, it's called Bly Manor. It's its own thing. It's its own piece of art, Dan. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, at, you know, as you guys probably are starting to get the feeling, this is uh, a mixed experience uh, at best. For me, um, I really feel like this show was just just treading water above the line of hatred. I mean, if it would have done one more thing to, to upend itself, confuse itself, or piss me off, I would have absolutely hated this series. As it is, it's just a passing grade for me. I mean, it literally just survived being drowned. Um, I think I, I felt a little bit better towards it than you did. I, um, as, as we know, I'm always trying to avoid the the noise surrounding something, and I, I got a slow start on the series and was bombarded immediately with negativity about it on the internet, on the rental zone. So I was really trying to, A, um, not look at things through that lens, and additionally, be my contrarian self and find the good in it. I was finding very conflicting information on the internet where audience reviews were abysmal, but critical reviews were pretty decent. Um, as a whole, I was also trying to look at it as separate from Hill House because ultimately, on looking back on it, if I were to look at it as an isolated season, if this was the first season of this thing, my, my rating of it would be substantially different than my rating of it is in the context of it being a sequel to my favorite piece of media in, in a decade. So you're saying that if this was not connected to your favorite piece of media, it would have gotten a lower score, higher no, score. No, I'm saying it would get a higher score. I think it, as its own thing, without any pre-existing expectations and notions of what it should be or what it could be or what potential there is, I think it exists on its own thing. If I was walking into it being like, okay, I'm going to watch a gothic horror with some mild spooky parts, 
that's ultimately about the interdynamic between ghosts and grief and um you know uh family and memory um and ultimately based around love i i would say this show success was pretty successful in exploring those albeit through a series of tropes that have been beaten to death repeatedly but i i think the show was successful in doing that if i was if this was a show that my partner was like hey we should watch this I'd probably be like this doesn't seem up my alley but I'll give it a shot and I would see what they were going for and I would say some episodes were very successful some episodes were exceptionally convoluted and really pushed the uh the suspension of disbelief but it it was it was fine for what it set out to do when it's in the context of being the sequel to the juggernaut that is the haunting of hill house it is just it it feels extremely wrong-headed and feels <laughs> like you know it was really like you you can see the results of people sitting around in a boardroom at Netflix being like wow hill house really took off we really got to pump out another one of these mike flanagan definitely doesn't have the time to put in that much work and development as he did to the first one so like write us an episode write us the ending we'll surround you with a staff who does not know how to convey things and write things in your voice <laughs> and um we You're really selling it here buddy <laughs> and we will you know american horror story people tolerated that for at least three seasons before right. they really jumped off the ship so we can at least squeeze three seasons of that same concept we'll bring back the actors everyone will be like oh it's that's cute it's the same actress but blonde now I'm going to present a very different opinion here, um, as per usual in the Movie Blues podcast. Um, wow, a few things that I want to address about what you just said. First of all, for me, this would be a significantly lower experience if it wasn't connected. Now, I understand how expectation works, right? Expectation works like you see the greatest piece of media ever. Obviously, the repercussions of a poorer sequel Yes, it is. I will agree that because it's carrying the same name, that does affect it negatively. The problem with this as an overall for me is that, A, I consume a tremendous amount of horror, be it TV, be it movies. Um, I have personally consumed four separate adaptations of The Turning of the Screw in my own free time over the course of my life. Some of them I really enjoy, uh, such as the film The Innocents from the 1960s, the best adaptation of this material that you could possibly get. Mike Flanagan, when he was asked about why he did the show the way he did, he said, too many people have already adapted uh, Blind Manor as a story from Turning of the Screw, um, and no one could ever do it better than The Innocents. I'm going to have to fully agree with him there. Um, my problem uh, up front with this whole um, thing being connected to Hill House and beyond is that there were parts of this show that I would have 100% bailed out of if I didn't know that it was in part written and produced by people that I trust um, and connected to a show that I enjoyed for a lot. Sure. For sure. I would have dropped out easily around episode three or four. Um, I have seen so That's many. An aspect I hadn't considered that like I would not have been in it for the long haul if I wasn't so committed to the property. So understand that like as I was watching this, I'm anticipating this conversation that you and I are having. So my mental exercise more often than not while watching the show was disconnect myself from Hill House at all and view this as a season of television unmoored onto itself. Now here's where the problems arise. Not only did the show crib major thematic 
narrative plot points from Hill House and do them to certainly um, diminishing returns. But um, the entire show, I think, knew, and we're going to discuss the amount of meta things that were really happening in the show, but I think the people of the show knew that sort of like Midsommar, where it's like, we know that we have a built-in audience, so we can be more abstract this time, yeah. and people will suffer through it for an ultimate endgame. Um, right. I really, truly couldn't um, bear to make it through parts of the series, um, whether the dialogue uh, was the culprit um, in, in monologues in the show that were not only pointless. Dude, like Shakespearean soliloquy length monologues on a regular basis and pre- presented w- presented with no sense of irony like presented in the middle of a conversation like there's like a there's like serious occurrences afoot and people are sitting on logs around a campfire speaking in like like victorian monologues it's fucking bonkers um i have quit seasons of american horror story that within three or four episodes are far better than anything that happened in bly manor i'll, I'll put that mm-hmm. Right up front. Like what? Like which seasons? Um, I, like, f- for example, the um, there's like, like the a- Donald Trump death cult season. <laughs> okay, perfect. Donald Trump death cult. Like that show. I watched I, that entire season. I strongly dislike that season. I watched the entire thing. I enjoyed that more than this. I mean, this had so little to engage me past the first two episodes. When I saw the the cards that the dealer had in this show and realized the extent to which that they were going to go to confuse and obfuscate what should have been a very simple story to tell. It was at, at, at some points, the most frustrating exercise in, in television viewing I've been through. And it also was just so unnecessary in its convolution, in its breadth and unbelievable patience when it came to these characters who were, again, you know, at times they are speaking things that do flesh out their character to some extent, but it it simply isn't the way that dialogue is written. It simply isn't the way that human beings talk to each other. Um, If the idea was to be melodramatic, um, they achieved that. For sure. The idea, I felt the idea was trying to do that thing that fails almost every time where they are modernizing some be it a gothic era thing a victorian thing they're modernizing it but trying to keep the dialogue and rhetoric similar to it and the pacing the way it would have been like when you watch an old like victorian era play they wanted all of the you'd see a lot with um the hannah character her cadence of speech was very like up and down and up and down like she's in a play for like and it's just like we all know no one speaks that way but like they're trying to fit in with this victorian classic vibe but presenting it as if it was happening in the 80s we're we're switch and like that's before we are shoehorned into the entire episode that takes place back then right. and is fucking harrowing um i just want to tell everybody at home that if you want to experience something that is exactly the same as this, and you don't even want to do an adaptation of The Turn of the Screw, um, in two hours you can watch The Others with Nicole Kidman and have a totally, thousandth time totally. better experience than this film. Totally. Um, what Amenabar did in that film, in 
less than two hours made the 10 hour slog fest that this was seem like an even more of a joke um, and, and the others as it is is an extremely slow paced movie right and um, I, I love it the others you know it, it also benefits from its simplicity and I want to this is what, how I want to head into us reviewing the series at least from my point of view is that as an avid horror fan and and I don't care if you're watching Scream, they even talk about the rules of horror. They talk about the rules right. of horror in almost every horror movie, whether whether it's The Quiet Place, where in the first five minutes you realize, here are the rules. The monsters can hear sound. It triggers them to kill you. In a horror movie, or God forbid, a 10-hour horror series, I understand the need and want to do a phantasmagoria. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I understand the need to want to throw a lot of ghosts in it, to throw a lot of elements in it of the supernatural variety. This show broke its own rules and yeah. made so little sense of so itself. So many times. So many times over. And when we go through the synopsis, Dan, I want to tell you at the end of the series, there's a moment in this series that I found to be one of the most absurdly rule-breaking logic shattering moments I've ever seen in any piece of fiction. I laughed and laughed at it. Just the idea of it, the thought of it was so insane. And the fact that I'm, I'm going to assume that it's the same moment that completely ruined the last we'll, episode for we'll me. See. Maybe <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It is in the last episode. Um, but um, it, it, you have to abide by a certain level of your own logic. And this show absolutely melted the walls off of its own fucking creation again and again and again and also the way that it explained the rules which by the way it didn't begin to do until almost five episodes into the show the way that they doled out the information was so subversive and and so repetitive and so unbelievably just frustrating to pull yourself through it's like I understand what they were trying to do. They're trying to show a world in which these ghosts are locked in certain loops right. as we'll get into it there is a a, an act, an aspect of repetition. Um, there, and there's meta commentary on that repetition. Like for example, the, the ghosts of Bly Manor all have their faces melted off. Um, and they have that from doing the same repetitions all day long, every day, going through the same memories all day long, every day. It's so ironic to create an idea like that because the viewer is that ghost. Yeah, you're, you're you're subjecting the viewer to that exact torture. That the, the viewer are has to through. go through all of that with you, and it 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 pained me. I too mean, Dan, the reality is is there was not enough content in this story to justify ten episodes. There well, just Dan, wasn't. That and is they, a really good um, and interesting point that that brings out the biggest difference between Hill House and this, which is that. Do you know anything about the episode titles? Did you look into the episode titles of the, of the series? No. Um, so, I, I, well, except so I was reading them at first until I noticed that I watched a part one of something, and then the following episode was not the part two to that episode. I'm about to blow your mind, buddy. That infuriated me, so I was done. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that because that was one of the most infuriating episode orders I've ever seen in my life. Um Here's something that's going to just make you go, haha, wow, um, light bulb moment, which is that every single episode of The Haunting of Bly Manor is a different book from author Henry James. Um, every title of every episode is a title of a Henry James book. For example, Hannah Gross's story, The Housekeeper, that is a book that is about that very thing. 
um, the episode that takes place in the 1800s, the bottle episode, that is a separate book written by Henry James that takes place in the 1800s and is a revenge story between two sisters. Every episode of this series used a different book as its inspiration. It almost right. reminds me of Lovecraft Country in its in its absolute adherence to being fucking terrible. In its, <laughs> in its dedication to being so overfilled and overwrought with itself that, of course, there are things to love about it because when you do everything, something's going to land. Right. But they went from adapting Hill House, which, by the way, you know, same thing. It's a book that's been adapted several times, sometimes to pretty good effect. The Haunting was a popular movie. I mean, obviously on rewatch, it's not going to hold up, but yeah. The Haunting was a huge movie in the 90s. I mean, it, his... And, and this is the first time he breaks his own rules out of, we're going to see thousands of times, but Mike Flanagan's line of logic where, oh, it's been done too many times and it's been done well, so I won't do it, it instantly... Yeah, but in turn, what he does is put us in a world where, like, you mentioned The Others earlier. The Others benefits from coming out at, at, the, at the very end of when you could pull off, like, it was, like, already beaten into the ground with the sixth sense but honestly even we, when the we, others came out it i felt in the theater while watching it like wow we've kind of just already done right this. now we're in a world where anytime any horror viewer is watching a ghost story while you're trying to figure out the puzzle the first thing you're trying to unpack is okay maybe all the people are ghosts sure like so if you're going to go so far out of your way to subvert expectations, but make the entire main <laughs> play, play, plot device be the biggest expectation possible, there's just no purpose to make the rest of it so convoluted. Right. Like, just focus on those characters and make those characters interesting. That that brings up another point, um, and then we're going to start talking about the episodes, but that brings up another point that I found so fucking harrowing about this series, which is that they would come up with these machiavellian insane plot traps like christopher nolan level fuckery with either time or space right. or and then fine i'm like okay i finally understand what we're doing here and then the next episode they would introduce a concept that is not related shatters it that's not even related to what's happening to the character who's in a loop from the last episode just completely upending you know what we think is possible in the show right. Right. It just didn't stop coming up with new ideas. It didn't stop churning. It was the Ouroboros of TV. I mean, it really just kept consuming itself while producing more and then consuming itself. It was just fascinatingly terrible to watch. The show is hopping around, uh, I want to say, four. I mean, if you count the intro and the end, technically four different timelines. Throughout these timelines... There, we're presented with all these different characters experiencing this time loop thing, but each character seemingly has its complete own rules to how it experiences the time loop. They're, and why? Because you had characters like Flora who were experiencing time loops because she was tucked away, while other people were experiencing loops because they were dead. It right, was right. maddening. Yet their time loops were in, in pacing exactly the same, the same situation. Like, they'd wake up uh, they'd be living their regular life. There'd be a knock at the door that reminds them of a previous knock on the door, and all of a sudden they're back in the previous thing. But, like, why would the living person have the same 
time loop as the dead woman from the 1600s. The other question, Dan, is that, and the other thing that made it all so insane is that the first few episodes of the show didn't have these loops really happening. No. And when they, they all were supposed started, to be a giant reveal. Yeah, it was supposed to be a giant reveal, but at the same time, they revealed all of the loops for all of the characters. Like, after a very straightforward narrative had started playing out, it was yeah. as if the fucking wheels had blown off the fucking wagon. Like, literally unmoored and then remained unmoored for four hours of TV. Yes. A more, a more well quaffed show would have been we have like four <laughs> episodes of straightforward narrative where I was like, okay. I'm not terribly, terribly enthusiastic or engaged by the plot, but I'm very interested to see what eventually happens. I trust this property and the people running it to bring me somewhere. Right. Then we have, I believe the first time loop episode is episode four or five, um, and that was introduced, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. Surely this won't be the entire episode. It was, but I was like, okay, now we have we're done with that. this concept in the place. Yeah. So now we're going to go back to what we were experiencing with no. the knowledge that there are, at the very least, one character experiencing this degree of time loop. And we'll unpack that. What I did not expect was the next three episodes, which each going to be going character by character and sending us through their time loop purgatory. Yeah. And yeah. I was just like, this could have been one episode all for all of these characters. Sure. This could, this could have not? been one this could have been the penultimate episode there was no reason to bring this in at episode five and just hammer the fucking point down like we, we, we know this is what's happening now i don't need to understand that every person who's experiencing a time loop is dead or has been interacting with ghosts who make them semi-dead like it's, <laughs> it's it's fucking bonkers dude. um as my wife um put it and i you know completely agree is that if anything, the show should have either been um, chronologically from the 1800s all the way up through present day, because you've got 10 hours. A lot of the times that they do, especially in horror movies, that they do out of chronology moments, whether it's like the opening of the movie is like a Go character ship. dying. Or, yeah, I mean, um, a lot of that is is done because they can't really go on that journey. You can't go from, you know if you're watching darkness falls you can't go from the chick being made the tooth fairy in the 1800s through 400 years of progress so in two hours you got to just be like uh here's a flashback of like a witch being burnt uh here's this right. show could have very easily started with um the tale of viola and um the bottle episode and progressed forward as you kind of gradually understand the rules and then watch people interact under those rules but instead it was like it was like being thrown to a sports game um, where you do not know any of the rules whatsoever, and you are not instructed on those rules until, like, four points go by. And not only that, but the reason it couldn't be that is because it's framed as Carla's character telling the story in oh the present. Oh, um, That frames the entire thing, <laughs> which, means, about that. which means that she is telling this story in the most convoluted, humanly way possible. Like, we had visual representation to try to piece together what the fuck was going on. Imagine being the people sitting around the fireplace hearing this fucking story where she's telling a story and speaking in time loops and then yeah, all of a sudden, oh, all of a sudden at hour eight of this story, she's talking, telling a story about the 1600s. Like, yeah. and also like I am, I've lamented this on the show before. It's like a very minor pet peeve, but like the fucking 
trope of like when something becomes old timey in a show them just switching to like digitalized black and white fucking i hate it what do you mean would you rather them like shoot it on film i'd, I'd rather them just like we're watching it in a house i don't need like the the, the visual itself to be black and white okay, to indicate to me that we're in the past sure like it, it's again just, i think they were playing really into the melodrama with the black and white it just they just wanted it to be as absolutely victorian as humanly possible they wanted it to just read like a you know and i i get it that's that was them really going for it but like holy shit we'll get there but jesus fucking christ what a fuck up that episode was yeah that episode um, was a problem <laughs> <laughs> all right dan you ready to start talking about 2020's the haunting of bly manor the daunting of Bly Manor. In Northern California in 2007, a woman attends a rehearsal for a wedding. There she tells the story of an au pair who dates back to 1987 in London. American transplant Danny Clayton is hired by Henry Wingrave to look after the niece and nephew in their manor in Bly. So here we have the setup to the show. Um, we have an American... <laughs> I, see, I see you're reading the same episode guide I am. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, oh, I, now I'm off script. We um are introduced to a situation we've seen in a thousand movies, in a thousand books, in a thousand TV shows, and beyond. You have a kind of fish out of water fish situation of water. where um she is heading to a spooky place to take care of a spooky kids. Yeah, um, she's clearly got. They had to write from Jump Street Hammer that she's got some demons in her past. Sure, and and I'll be the first one to say it. I very much enjoyed this episode. Um, I wasn't over the moon about it, but I did enjoy um, the main actress who played Danny. I think she was excellent, not she only in Hill House. Superb. And um, she really carried the show um, for me. Um, she was my favorite element of the show in terms of acting. I do think that they really just fucking blew her character, though. I mean, I was fine with um, the performance. For me, though, you have a babysitter from America who's haunted by her dead ex. She moves into a mansion where she's haunted by ten other ghosts. Well, and we don't she, know it's her dead ex from Jump Street. Regardless, she <laughs> leaves the show having escaped. She, like, saves the entire family. And then she's haunted by another ghost, which eventually kills her. There's no... There's no loot. There's no good arc for this girl's no. character. Um, her arc kind of concludes once you find out more about her, and it kind of, like many things in the show, just kind of ends and then shambles on without a head for episodes and episodes after. Um, but yeah, I mean, my takeaway from the first episode is I really liked um, the lead actress. I was deeply mortified by Carla Gugino's um, semi-Irish British nanny storytime accent. Disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> as, as well, I love that word for this too. As, Just disastrous. As well as her like aging makeup slash yeah, like hair dye. Just so bonkers. It's like literally like <laughs> it was too much. It was like community theater level when like you go see like when you go in high school and see someone play Bye Bye Birdie and they need one of the kids to play one of the like like mrs peterson like the old lady and they just slap like the like dirtiest salt and pepper giant wig on her as if like every old person's <laughs> hair is just fucking enormous like it, it it literally looked um like a community theater piece yeah. it was absolutely and i i mean i almost if you really want to get fucked up enough about the show like it almost is worth discussing whether that was on purpose 
just to be like extra melodramatic and absurd to yeah. just like, have her look like a cartoon character. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're introduced into a situation which many movies and TV shows have violated many millions of times over, and that is where a character is telling a story that no person could ever tell in the amount of time allotted <laughs> to a group of people that they are surrounded by at a party or otherwise, leaving us, the viewer, for 10 hours straight to be wondering what level of torture is the listener of these horribly convoluted, insane ramblings of a woman yeah. who, by the way, as we know from the end of the show, no one really knew who she was at the party. It's not like... for There were some times when I was watching the show where I was like, okay, well, maybe they're all listening to this nonsense because, like, this is a very trusted person in their inner circle. They know it's leading somewhere. This is the matriarch of the family, maybe. Um, the fact that this was a complete rando to these people telling Dude. what may be the most unsatisfyingly, horrifyingly ramshackled story of all time is just painful to think about. Hill House, a show in which every episode I was clamoring to watch the next one because I was so impressed at its ability to subvert my guesses True. like every prediction i was trying to make i was never sure whereas from this first scene i predicted such a high amount of the series like i believe i texted you being like yeah there's an indian guy in that scene surely that's owen yeah, you did say that. That was an incredibly good call, too. And what I wanted to say about that, too, is like, A, amazing call. B, that guy looked absolutely nothing Literally like nothing Owen. like it. Literally nothing and like he, him. So and, then by process by the of way, elimination, I was like, okay, so surely Carla is the gardener because you could hear in her extremely wrong-headed British accent yeah, where she would occasionally word. try to put in that, like, low-class British accent that yes. the gardener has. And yeah. it was just gross and offensive sounding true um, uh, yeah I, I I think I had texted you back and was like Carla Gugino is for sure the gardener um, yeah. and I don't think they did a good job of burying that one I don't think that they did themselves any favor by giving both actresses such a specific accent because then instead of watching the show under the guise of like what is the mystery of why this story is being told? I'm like, oh, this woman was there the whole time. And then I became frustrated because I'm like, this isn't even the main character of this fucking show. Right. And then as she becomes more prevalent throughout the show, it's like, okay, like I knew that this was going to obviously have to happen too. Like, and we know she's going to live. And we know that she's going to live. Um, not that there was like an exceptionally high body count in the show. Most of the people that died were already dead or were like, an alternate personality or like a ghost of a ghost but um it's just so uh, funny to me in this in this era of diversity like forced diversity in properties that like there was an indian guy giving a toast at the wedding and uh then when we go back to the blind manor timeline there's an indian guy at the house and i was like there's no other option besides those to be the same two people yeah and i like, mean they, they really buried it on that one and, and, never and, guessed and like cat was just like why do you think that and i was like <laughs> because, because i don't <laughs> i was like i don't have faith in netflix to cast go, go above their bare minimum quota yeah exactly um this kind of escalates into the second episode um which i i would say maybe is my favorite episode it's kind of hard to say but um uh this is basically an episode where um danny the housekeeper or what is she the governess i guess technically um is kind of living her life day to day with flora and miles the two children who are orphans that she is taking care of um 
the kids are very bizarre. They have a lot of strange affectations. We learn um, more, I think, in this episode about um, Miles's behavior in school. Yeah. Um, which I thought this was all very interesting. I thought this was rather compelling, even though several things need to be mentioned. One being that Miles as a character is never redeemed or made sense of or given any sort of epilogue in the show. So his arc of destroying his life um, by going to boarding school and then and essentially failing out so that he can go back to his sister doesn't really like award him much. And we don't know about what his life ultimately, you know, turned out to be other than like he was happy, which is like, I right. guess all, all we're told. Um, uh, I mean, it, it all got perfectly splendid. Um, this, this is also like the first episode where they started really harping on the headlight eyes guy, which yeah. I, I feel is probably the most wrongheaded in the series um attempt to try to play with viewers expectations based on hill house because they present this they did exactly what hill house would have done though i mean it was literally like that was the first moment which we should be waiting because this is kind i think the next episode but like that the whole reveal of the guy who is haunting danny with the glowing eyes is like when I was like, oh my God, we're going to start ripping off Hill House now on top right. of all of this. Um, but but it's like they present as like, okay, this is going to be a clear, persistent antagonist of the show. This is nope. this is the uh, this is the bent neck lady of the season. And oh. I, was, I, I was sitting here being like, well, he's significantly less creepy. Right. The effects on his eyes are pretty stupid. I don't yeah. really find him threatening at all. Like, are, like are they Potter. are they purposely playing with us expecting there to be a bent neck lady and there's going to be something more to this? Like, and and I said at one point, I bet this is a misdirect and we're going to solve that mystery in like two episodes. Nailed it. Yep. And little did you know that while he was like a semi bent neck lady, there would be ten to twenty more bent neck ladies <laughs> in this show. Um, okay. This show would double to triple down on bent neck lady ratio. Um, yeah, none of which would be even remotely as compelling as yeah. the ultimate none. resolution to the bent neck lady, which is the greatest twist in television I've seen in my adult life. Um, this show just kept trying to re-bent neck lady itself. If if Hill House was alien, this was surely aliens of bent neck lady reveals. Um, <laughs> every ghost... Um, double, duplicate, and haunting was something deeply sentimental rooted in someone's tragic past and forced to play out over and over again, which is the crux of the Bent Neck Lady. Yeah, it was right. as if they took the one good idea that truly flourished from the first season and just spread it into every single episode of this yeah. show. Let, um, let me let me lay something out for you, Dan. Imagine, if you will, prior to us watching a moment of this season that... Um, in a world where we just watched Hill House, a show in which the main antagonist, the giant twist, spoilers, ends up being that that horrible ghoul of a bent neck lady is the sister who she herself is haunting due to all sorts of timeline trickery. Mm. It's an amazing twist. That moment left me jaw dropped on the floor. I was like, that is incredible, elite, convoluted writing that yeah. like weaved such an elaborate web and had a payoff now imagine if you're in a pitch meeting for for this show and they're like all right what's going to be the bent neck lady this season and they're like all right everything it's gonna be a crack in the wall i've got an idea fellas what if this time we do all the bent neck ladies yeah what if instead of 
such a meta commentary on one's own grief and the potential of uh, you know afterlife distress that comes from suicide and all the commentary and philosophical questions that come into play when you're confronted with that twist this season's version of that is there's a crack in the wall that you see sometimes <laughs> nailed it yeah um yeah i mean um this this show didn't it, 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 imagine if you will um if m night Shyamalan, after having made the sixth sense then went on to make another movie um, wherein every single character is revealed to be dead. Um, that is how I felt about this show. Um, I could not believe the level to which they were going to pervert their own good ideas and good faith. Um, but just like really, in half-assed versions face. of it. Yeah, oh, but half-assed is, is, is saying a lot because I think that some of these things were like, a two out of 10 in, in terms of effectiveness. I literally either shrugged or laughed at every single reveal that the show had. Dude, the reveal of like the origin of the crack was so unbelievably anticlimactic. That I, I, I think like, anyone, I think a child could have seen that coming from a thousand miles away. Yeah, I, I, They don't make you care about the crack. The crack doesn't seem nefarious. The there's, so, there's so much spooky shit happening throughout the house the whole time that like a crack showing up in a 400 year old mansion is like pretty par for the course. Like, okay, it you don't even sometime. know that it's creepy Ooh. for the first two or three yeah. times you see it. It's they not even that It's creaky because some violins play in the background whenever it's on screen. Like, <laughs> um, the, the next episode of the show really was more filler. It kind of just like introduced Peter Quinn for one second and didn't have much in the way of grounds to chew on. Um, but I think really um, episode three is where things just fucking started getting so goddamn bizarre. Um, this is re really where we start finding out about Peter Quint um, and Rebecca Jessel, um, who was just, I, I thought she was not the best actress. And Peter Quint, um, who was played by a fantastic actor who, um, was literally one of the best parts of not only Hill House, but was the best part of the movie, The Invisible Man. Um, he was so spooky in that. I mean, obviously Elizabeth Moss was the best part of that. It was a silly yeah. statement, but he was incredibly good in it. Um, and I really was glad to see him. And then he opened his mouth and uh, like a whole Scrooge McDuck thing happened for like a hundred minutes straight. Um, wherein it, it kind of sounded like if Sean Connery had like 10 marbles in his mouth, um, yeah. I multiple times felt as if I needed subtitles for an accent being done by an actor who does not have that accent. That's like the golden violation of doing accents. Like if you're going to do the most cliched Scottish accent humanly imaginable, like make it intelligible or give it some sort of edge. I mean, it was not only that, but you had to hear him talk for fucking Con on end for hours. This, that's what I don't understand about the casting in this is they were so determined to do the horror story thing of maintaining the same actors, but it was done at the expense of having there be any continuity in terms of how characters like actors look versus, versus past versions of themselves in the show. Like, none of them look remotely similar. No. None of them speak remotely similarly. It was just all so shoehorned in. Like, Carla's character could have easily been cast by a woman who looks like the gardener and has the same accent as the gardener. It doesn't need to be an American woman, like, trying to play Eliza Doolittle. Like, it's, it's bonkers. It was bonkers. Um, and this is Especially where you if you're going to give them pages-long monologues at all 
at all opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I felt bad for in the, especially in the final episode of the show, I literally felt bad for Carla Gugino. They gave her so, so much dialogue in that accent to the point where it really felt like she was cracking by the end of that episode. Yeah. It felt like I was really watching somebody who didn't want to be doing that. It uh, felt like they filmed the pilot and then as she went back and watched dailies to see what the Gardner actress's accent actually sounded like and realized that like she had been playing it a little too high class as opposed yes. to like East London. She was trying 100%. to she was trying to adjust to sound a little bit more like 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 poverty stricken. I mean, God only knows that the Gardner actress, she could have been American too. I don't have any clue who she is, but that could have been a fake accent for her as well. I mean, it just seemed like a bunch of people who again like you had said earlier who had practiced for a play right. um the accents that you would do in a play on stage were the accents that they were using in a close quarters horror show and it just like it's one thing okay if you want to take the hammer horror aspect and you want to hire a bunch of actually british actors to be in your show from the uk let's do that that sounds like a fucking great yeah, idea totally. in fact um, you know, you have, uh, like from Dr. Sleep, um, the main antagonist of that, I mean, she has an accent in real life, like they could have brought her in. I would have preferred to see, you know, some more and some different actors from Hill House and in particularly love what they did with the ones that they had and felt like I kind of missed ones that were in Hill House, such as the main kind of brother and sister. I don't know the actor's names, but like, um, the guy who's Dario Naharis from Game of Thrones. Um, and his sister, who's kind of the more high-strung sister, who wasn't in this either. I, I don't know if I'm making yeah. any sense right You're now. You're saying the the brother being the brother who wrote the book? Yes, the author. Was, was the that author. not the uh, was that not the the husband in the black and white episode? Was it? I I, I don't know. I kept flip flopping. I didn't bother to look it up. There no. were moments where they looked similarly. Sorry, people. We didn't do our research, but that's because we had to watch ten hours of this for the second. Either episode. way, we're on we're on episode. What are we on episode three? That's the that's the where we the get two faces part introduced one. to the least compelling love story in the entire show of Peter Quint and Bix, where basically the crux of their entire relationship is like Bix, you have to you have to feel fur on your pussy. Bix. <laughs> don't like as he's stealing fur from a dead woman she's wearing it and he's like no it only works if you feel it on your pussy it's like true wealth is only felt by a pussy <laughs> we can't take down the class system in england unless you rub this fur coat on your snatch that was like literally the plot point <laughs> it's like fuck these people and their wealth rub their clothes on their privates <laughs> so dumb dude um uh so yeah you have these an interracial couple with a barrage of fake accents trying to convey some sort of love that i'm supposed to feel um it yeah. was really love a exceptional gaslighting and abuse yeah well yeah well here's the thing about peter quinn as a character and this is like just goes to show you more of just the inconsistency and nonsense that the show put forward but like <laughs> at, at that scumbag that turns out to actually be uh have um have a deep backstory but also really at the end of the day is still a total scumbag <laughs> yeah i mean you're introduced to this character as essentially a sinister ghost outside of a window <laughs> who is leering and i'm not saying smiling i'm not saying looking he is truly yeah. leering at the people inside the house going out of his way to haunt them 
This is a character that by the end of the series, you're supposed to resonate with to the extent of your kind, like depending on what kind of viewer you are, you're kind of hoping that he literally like infects a child and then bangs his sister and lives the rest of his life um, possessing a brother sister combo, right. like with the woman right. that he loves. Like right. that at one point is something that you're made to root for, which yeah. is complete nonsense. And they try to get you to come on board by making you relate to the fact like oh his his mom's bad which i was the wrong viewer for that (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i mean you have a show in which you have these great two spooky kid actors who i think they were very well cast they were very effective perfectly Um, splendid and instead of hammering down on what you had there you instead made it a show in which these two kids are basically on auction for like 25 different ghosts who are stuck in time loops and want to like either kidnap them, drag them to the bottom of a lake, use them as their surrogate children, use them as bodies to which they can transport themselves in and live the rest of their lives in reality. I mean, it was really silly. Presumably, if their plot had succeeded, the situation would be that Peter Quint and Bex would be living in it's basically the plot of child's play where they would be living in these children's bodies but also like it's the plot of bride of chucky also like continuing to fuck as like it was the plot of bride of chucky dude like they're gonna go off and like live happily ever after as these british siblings Uh, who eventually become american um Yep. Let's talk a little bit about the structure of the show. Um, I would say, or lack thereof, but it's the exact opposite. There is so much structure in the show. It's as if Christopher Nolan um, want, like remade Lady in the Water. Um, it was really fucking difficult to discern why things were running the way that they were. But if you look at an episode count, you have episode three, which is The Two Faces Part One. Um <laughs> Then, after that, you're launched into a full hour of of backstory for Danny of a different ghost of a completely different haunting where we have her ex-boyfriend, her reckoning the fact that she is gay, etc., etc. That's followed by an episode in which the housekeeper, who is barely a character in the show at that point, runs through her own extremely painful, enormously taxing loop. Yeah. Then you have a, a sh- an episode where... The uncle, who also is barely in the show at this point, has a split personality that has become its own physical entity. Yeah, it's like a real Green Goblin situation. (laughs) Then, then we have the Two Faces Part 2, which is um, then four hours later from where we started. Netflix believes the viewers are fucking morons, and they wrote the two-part episode, and they were like, oh, they're not going to be able to pick up on any of the subtlety of Part 2 unless we beat into fucking death the time loop thing and beat into death they did um and as i was alluding to we are introduced to the time loop um around episode five the altar of the dead Um, wait before we get to episode five can we just say in episode four where we're forced to watch danny's like loveless engagement how hilarious it was when her fiance gets hit by the car by the truck that was one of well, my favorite moments of the series. I, I found the special effect of him getting hit, first of all, extremely slapsticky. Um, <laughs> why? why, why because his lights turned into fucking, like, giant movie movie set-esque fucking, uh, like, floodlights. Um, it just... It's just sad, because, like, that is an interesting story, and, and even though that's been done a hundred thousand times, but it's like, I, I liked it because it involved Danny, um, but 
uh, by the end of it, um, when they revealed that the ghost that is haunting her is her ex, who she, in a roundabout way, ended up getting accidentally killed. The reveal of that is when I knew that the show is a, a, fa a failure. I mean, yeah. the reveal of him, it said two things that were negative to me. One, it said, we're ripping off Hill House, and it's time to start literally uh, just doubling down on things that you could see from a thousand miles away. But the other thing that it communicated, and I thought was like equally as embarrassing, is just that like more embarrassing even, shocking even, is that the show that we're watching is no longer about a haunted mansion. The show right. that we're watching is not the haunting of Bly Manor, but rather the haunting of many different people, some of which have never been to Bly Manor, some of which right. have only been there once or twice and have had situations there that have caused their own psychological damage. And like, I guess that sounds interesting kind of when it's coming out of my mouth. But again, it does. this it doesn't. This harkens back to what I was talking about with the rules. And and now you've introduced, I mean, not only does this ghost, when she reckons, you know, the fact in the episode that the ghost is her ex, it just disappears from the show. Yeah. It just completely drops off. I mean, off. what incredible luck that this extremely haunted manor in the middle of England yes. with a 400 years long backstory to mm -hmm. justify it being full of ghosts ends up being watched over by a woman from America who also happens to be haunted by a ghost constantly that has never attended yep. the, the mansion. So are we just to assume that everybody who has experienced grief is haunted by ghosts? Yeah, I mean, that's where that's where this the train leaves the hereditary station because we're just like the idea of like, okay, you watch hereditary and it's like, ooh, this was actually about grief. It's like, okay, we're doing this idea a lot lately. We're in, especially in horror yeah. where, whether it's and an idea it or a concept. A fucking dollhouse. Yeah. It always has to involve a dollhouse for some reason, which by the way, that was another horror element to the show that came to no decent fruition that made no sense in the end. I mean, I would have liked to have seen more of a focus. I would have taken one last time, time loop episode and one episode about Floor's development of the dolls and yeah. how that protects them and, and how that holds any power over these ghosts because that was never explained. Yeah, Flora is basically regularly protecting Danny because she is a... The ultimate antagonist ends up being the woman, the old fucking governess, the old lady of the manor from 100, 400 years earlier. The ultimate and, antagonist of a 10-hour show is a character we meet one hour before its conclusion. Right. So Flora's dollhouse, which is a complete replica of the manor, she has little dolls of every person who is within the manor, as one does in the lodge and hereditary. <laughs> um, and she's... By the way, go watch both of those. They're better than this. Yeah. When, whenever anyone moves you know she specifically asks Danny not to get out of bed so Danny agrees they go to sleep Flora wakes up notices that the Danny doll is not in bed therefore she knows that Danny is not in bed there is a connection there what that connection is is literally never explained but we also know that there's a doll of this faceless lady that Danny's about to run into so Flora is basically um, acting as like uh, like a brainiac mastermind situation overseeing all this spooky bullshit in the house um using this dollhouse as her map and there's just no there's no rhyme or it's purely in all ways just a plot device and yeah. this show is full of just fucking shoehorned in plot devices that are just many, insanity many machinations insanity 
things that are there for no reason other than that they can't fucking figure out another way in the writer's room to justify <laughs> Flora protecting Danny in that scene. Um, it, it, it goes without saying that this stretch of episodes is really the most infamous part of this series that will definitely prevent me from ever having to rewatch it, from ever having an interest in revisiting it. I still do want to rewatch Hill House quite a bit. Um, I've only watched it once. I have rewatched it. It is phenomenal. Just as great the second time. This show, however, by its pure design, execution, and lack of resolution in many ways, leaves it unwatchable it's to me. pacing. Uh, the pacing is positively glacial in the show. Um, and I again, like, I love slow burn horror. I love slow paced horror. There are horror movies that I will stay in on board for um, just for one reveal um, uh, at the end of it. I mean, it's just like, like, a, for example, I watched a movie called Sea Fever this year that I thought was incredibly good little sci-fi horror movie about a girl in a boat and all this mysterious shit starts happening and it's very glacial in the same sense and not until the last 10 minutes of the movie do you see something that really gets you going and it's enough to pay off the whole movie this show tried to pay itself off hundred times and it's almost as if when the time travel episodes stopped then the end game was something that was being sprinted to because now right. we're now we're more than halfway through the series. Not only are we more than halfway through the series, but the penultimate episode is going to be wasted on fucking Victorian era, just like bullshit that happened 400 years earlier. Like, let's talk about the most, in my mind, really like the laziest and and this one of the strangest parts of this entire show, which is. Um, found in episode six, The Jolly Corner, where flashbacks reveal that Henry, who is um, the little kid from E.T., who they've put in some sort of prosthetic makeup and given an accent. And, and by the way, I just want to mention really quick, I think that his accent and performance was excellent. I yeah. thought I really did enjoy him. And I think that, you know, whether it's him being Jack Nicholson in Dr. Sleep or him being um, Hugh Crane in Hill House... The dude has a fucking incredible range, and I'm yeah. glad that people kind of keep putting him in good shit. Mike Flanagan, obviously, putting him more than anything, but um, I thought he was very good, and that's why I felt as if his episode was maybe one of the larger letdowns of all. Um, we're introduced to um, the parents of Flora and Miles, um, who I thought the other most um, outstanding performance of this film for me um, was the actress who plays Flora's biological mother, yeah. um, who is Wendy in Doctor Sleep. Um, she blew me away in Doctor Sleep um, doing the impression of Wendy, and that's why I was so late to see her doing a different accent, different character entirely um, than who she was in Doctor Sleep. And she obviously has a great range, and I just really got a good... There are some movies where they, you know, portray a mother character and it's like, this is not a mom and this is not someone that anybody would miss or care for. It doesn't, this doesn't line up or feel right. right. And I just got a very um, nurturing, very committed vibe from that actress. And it just, I'm excited to see her do more. I'm excited to see him do more. I thought this episode, while providing an interesting context for their relationship and their affair that they had, introduced a concept that I thought was so singularly stupid and unnerving that it led to some of the biggest LOLs and some of the, the stupidest logic breaking moments I've ever seen in a show. That's where we're introduced to the other Henry who is um, basically, I guess the best way to explain it, correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, in his um, self-pitying yeah. disgust with himself, he splits into a separate entity who has its own agency. It's more than just a devil on your shoulder. This is a character that 
has its own agency and yeah. is often very much at odds with the person yeah. who he spawned from. Um, Henry's ghost is guilt wrapped up in what he sees as the personification of all of his previous evil deeds. So let's just get this straight. We've got spooky kids. We've got a housekeeper stuck in a time loop. We've got a main character who's being haunted by a completely unrelated ghost from her past. Now we have a man who, um, oh, and then we have, you know, the Peter Quint and, and, um, uh, Lady Jism or whatever her name was. Um, and they're a haunting in relationship. And the fact that they are explaining very difficult rules of being a ghost at all of these times and how they're planning to inhabit the bodies of the children. And then on top of that, we're going to throw in a fight club. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. So let's go. Let's go one by one through the family. So floor. It. Tell me if this sounds convoluted to you or not, because I feel like on paper it works. So, Haunting of Hill House is a show in which an au pair who is haunted Bly Manor. by. Yes, this is a show in which, <laughs> in which a woman from the United States, right. um, the the night before her wedding, reveals to her fiance that she is gay and needs to break up and in the ensuing fight he gets out of the car gets hit by a truck she in turn is haunted by his ghost that's ghost one simultaneously what we have in england is uh peter quint who is murdered by a ghost in blind manor and is haunted basically by the memory of his mother um we have uh, fucking, um, what's uh, what's the kid from ET's name? Henry. Henry, Book of Henry. It just broke all of this down. You're just repeating it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just it's, it's. And yes, it is convoluted, Dan. It's fucking. <laughs> As I crazy. mentioned, it's, it's fucking insanity. What, it's twelve like, movies running at the same time. So, like, ultimately, the message is like it's every, twelve movies it, running at the same time, and three of those movies are Memento. <laughs> the me- the message the message is that everything is a ghost. All of the an- all, all of the anxieties, shame, everything's a ghost, y'all. Guilt, regret. Don't deal with your mental health issues because in the end, it's a ghost. Any negative trauma that one's experience is That's itself a ghost. A ghost. <clears throat> and depending on what type of trauma it is, that ghost oh, has its ghost. own rules. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! By the way. Not only is everyone a ghost, but there's a full 20-point bulletin rulebook for each ghost's existence within Blind Manor. Dude, what it would is, you do? It is unreal to watch it unfold. What it is would a you disaster. Do? Imagine if Danny caused her fiancé to die, but also had cheated on, on him as such that she ended up with a split personality the way Henry did. Like, does the does that ghost suddenly become... Does she get two ghosts? I have to now say it, even though we're not at the episode yet, because we're right in the middle of the conversation where it would be most pertinent. Um, the most absurd moment in this entire show that broke every rule of horror, supernatural lore, sense, writing, and beyond is when Henry's double who again is a figment of his own imagination that has split apart from him, has yes. no physical entity whatsoever. It picture, doesn't exist. Picture Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin. 
arguing right. in the mirror. It's literally that. It's it's that, but even less of a split. I mean, it really is just kind of like implied, and 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 they tried to do it tastefully. And then in the last episode, you have a situation in which, while Henry, the person who has invented his other in his mind and is the only one who can see it, is passed out, his double communicates with a ghost. The end. I mean, like, the end. You've literally written yourself into a fucking hole. It's over. My understanding there was that Henry was killed by that point. Because you see, as soon as the, uh, the, the, the woman of the water chokes him out and, like, cracks his windpipe, he's standing over, looking over his body the way he typically does. I didn't take that to be the Green Goblin ghost. I took that no, to be that, the typical, that was the Green the typical Goblin Hill House ghost. Nope. That was the Green Goblin ghost. He was just passed out. Okay, so this because, is like... The, this is like listen, the, listen, listen. Because the, the, hold on. This is, the BM, this is the BMCU. All the ghosts exist in their own world. They have their own offshoot storylines, but they can all come together like in Endgame, right? Right? Avengers, Endgame. That's what happens. Literally, not only did you just nail that reference, I'm so proud of you, but also <laughs> that is exactly what happened. They were just like, all right, dude, if this show would have ended with the guy with the Coke bottle glasses who got hit, like coming in with a steel chair, I may I may have enjoyed it. <laughs> um, as it is, it was a complete wreckage. And before we conclude talking about that wreckage, we need to talk about the bottle episode, um, which is as, as if the level of repetition has not punished you enough in this show. Now we will subject you to a literal centrifuge of ideas where you will watch someone go through something so many times over that your face will also melt off while watching it. Um, it was probably one of the worst bottle episodes I've ever seen on a show. Um, and this is in a year or two where I've seen unreal bottle episodes on horror shows. Um, that seems to be a running thing that has been happening. Would you I really point- call this a bottle episode? In, like, I feel like every episode in this show is pretty much a bottle episode. Like, Sometimes they're in Henry's it, office. It, like, it is because like- they're based on different books so sure yeah it is almost like every episode is a bottle episode but at the same time any any time a show takes place all in one general time era and then all of a sudden we open up in black and white and victorian times yeah. and, and stay there for the whole thing i mean that's and also while introducing these heady insane concepts and these ridiculous ah. tropes all over again to us that we've already been hammered down with a thousand times over um it reminded me a little bit of the episode of lost where you see um, the two boys on the island and um, they kind of repeat the process of understanding the island and knowing they need to protect it and going through everything that the main characters of the show went through but very subtly and and very carefully and very um, ambiguously and, and with resonance and this was like okay you've already been beaten on the head a thousand times over and now we're just gonna fucking clock you one more time but a hundred 80 years ago it was it was um it was a it was an effort and i enjoyed it more than i enjoyed most of the rest of the series besides the first two episodes um it didn't some people i read um you know watched that episode and absolutely hated it i appreciated it for its set design i appreciated it for some of its i found the sister dynamic compelling yeah i found perdita and and especially the actress who um, played the Lady of the Lake. I thought she was very good. Um, yeah. And it did make me long for a show in which we just did Turn of the Screw or just Lady of the Lake um, and just had a show where, like, honestly, because the Lady of the Lake is the spookiest element of the show, if they would have just focused on that 
and stripped away every single other layer of nonsense, there could have been a good show here. And you could have done it in 10 episodes. It didn't need to be. It's just all of a sudden, man. I mean, it went from being so succinct yeah. to yeah. to such a mess. And I've just never seen a decline that rapid. It, it's just shocking a show with such elaborate set design and costume design and strong actors and very, very visually interesting characters with backstory just in all ways abandon the concept of show not tell just the amount of voiceover narration that came in like the last third of the series was fucking insane i mean that's a telltale sign of what you were saying earlier of like they they wasted four episodes like really hammering home to make sure we understand the time loop thing and then they had to sprint by like it's honestly the same thing that i complained about with Gerald's game, where I thought the first hour and 20 minutes of the movie were really fucking strong, but the last 15 minutes was just like a totally different movie with tons of voiceover narration, exposition dump, just explaining everything. Like, I don't need to watch a visual play in black and white with Carla in her horrible British accent, just like reading what essentially sounds like her reading the Canterbury Tales. Like. Well, listen, if it ever worked for me, Carla's narration, it, it wasn't, it wasn't this episode because it at least fit what I was watching in terms of its extreme melodrama. Um, I mean, it didn't help. And again, narration should she only ever be used. She for... forgot. She, she awoke. Yeah. Well, she yeah, walked. sure. But, but listen, even if she wasn't saying that over and over again as it was happening, I already was drowned. I already, just from watching it happen over and over again. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, this this is really where we it's hit. It's just like we fucking get it, man. They were, it was like some <laughs> time filler in that episode. Like, we under, like, within two repetitions, we understood the concept is that she got thrown in the lake by her family and discarded. And now every night she wakes up from the lake, fucking bumble fucks her way through the house to the bed where she expects her kid to be gets upset when the kid's not there then goes back to the lake we did not need to see this happen every day they do it they do it once twice three times they do it 50 years later during fucking bubonic plague so that you can see that time is going and they're they're saturating a little bit of color in so that you can see we're entering the 1800s also can we just pause for a second I, i just think it's so fucking absurd that the lady of the lake every night walks through the house with muddy fucking feet and and for hundreds of years there's someone whether it was hannah gross or whoever preceded her cleaning that mud and yeah, not thinking and blaming twice it on the it. children yeah and blaming it on the children they're or like, whoever, it, like i mean whoever they're I mean, like they're like the it's children born it was happening every day too yeah but it was that lazy writing where they felt they had already had that covered by episode one where they, they were did like not. They, they were they were like the children <laughs> tend tend to always run through the night tons of tons of mud but like there are numerous episodes where the kids are in their bed the entire evening they go to bed earlier there's one episode where they have a big slumber party and uh you know she's like it'll be absolutely and then it cuts them being asleep everyone in that house knows full well that the kids are sleeping yet still in the morning there's fucking mud tracks yeah they can't blame it on the kids. kids Yeah, those, those wacky kids who were wandering around barefoot in the mud at three in the morning in the that rain. That needs to be addressed as well, <laughs> if that's the case. <laughs> and they're like, um, oh, well, their parents died, so it's fine. 
Um, so this corpse ramshackled into its 10th episode, which for me was one of my favorite episodes. It did include some of the biggest guffaw, eye-rolling moments, of course. Um, horrendous dialogue and exposition drops that felt like someone literally shoving pages of a book into my ears physically. Um, and the worst, most offensive <coughs> the viewer's intelligence plot device for the sake of making the plot work work situation in my opinion in the entire series which is oh turns out the kids don't remember any of it that i mean and then the reveal which like only serves the purpose to make the reveal work when the reveal is so fucking unnecessary yeah like i mean look dan what if what what if take out the kids forgetting at all what if at the end of the fucking series we cut to carlo gugino telling the story and we look around the room and we're like oh this is everybody who is there like we're just telling the stories just one more time like this is the first time and you know what they didn't have to do it by doing this fucking weird like fade where she's looking at all the characters and watching them fade into their past version they're like oh look indian man was the previous indian man girl um looked absolutely nothing like flora her bone structure her face looked positively nothing like flora and beyond that and i know there's reasons for this but the fact that the kids didn't have accents anymore was so stupid like so this is what i really want to forget being at bly manor you are raised internally with an accent these kids were well miles was like 13 years old if you if you leave a country before puberty, you tend not to maintain that accent. We don't hear Miles's accent as an adult. Um, Her accent, for, though, for instance, yeah, my so my guitarist absurd. Max grew up in England. You would never know; he sounds American. I knew however, kids that grew up in England that I can tell. However, the amount of shoehorned in lines, like there's no purpose for them to be going to America other than to make that reveal be a surprise later. But the dude, just the way. Um, Carla finishes her story and some fat woman who's nearby is like, hey, uh, so if I went flew to England, could I visit Bly Manor and see a lady in the bottom of the lake from 20 years ago? As if like, A, like that corpse would have been decomposed, but B, that's a ridiculous question. Um, but so her response is just like, oh, well, I can't imagine if you went to England, you would find something by the name of Bly Manor. What like, was that about? All right, you want to know what that's about? Yeah. That was to um to convey that she had changed details in the story so as not to trigger Flora into remembering anything. Um, wait, wait, is that why she said Flora's my middle name? Yes. Oh, no, Dan, no. Yeah, yes. No, she, Dan, no. Dan, no. So yeah, she had changed details. Oh, my God. Thank you for pointing this out because I, they, I've been wrestling with that. I thought it was just a matter of when she moved to America, they changed her name to just totally wipe her yeah, memory. Yeah, so did I. I looked it up, Dan. I read Mike. Oh, Mike. you looked it up. I looked up a Mike Flanagan interview because I was like, this makes oh. no fucking sense. And I know this fucking Flora is my middle name thing, like, holds weight. It's that, significant. Like, it felt like when, that, when Joseph Gordon-Levin is like, yeah, my middle name's Robin at the end of Dark Knight right, Rises. Exactly. I was like, it just, I was, I was like, I literally, too, I felt in the pit of my stomach. I was like, this is a moment that should be clear and is not because of poor script filmmaking. And literally it is, uh, that fat woman's existence is purely to show that she changed details in the story to make it so that the character names weren't the same, which is why no one was able to tell that the Indian guy was actually Owen because his name probably isn't Owen. And, uh, 
why the old guy who walks away with Flora is actually fucking the uncle. All of those characters are are those characters, but she changed all the names. She changed the name of Fly Manor, which is why we have this shoehorned in scene right before then, where they go visit Owen's restaurant, where the only purpose is to show that the kids don't really remember anything, and that Bly Manor is just a place of their summer house. And then, but I mean, Owen's memory was wiped as well, right? No, no. Owen says, "Wait, wait, wait. dude, what the fuck?" No. So Owen at the party at the end was lying that, when he said, I don't know, when, when he was just like, oh, good story, you gotta go. Yeah, as evidenced by as he walks by, he gives her a knowing look and like grabs her shoulder. Everyone else just walks is this away. Is shit that you read as well? Like, this no, is this I noticed. Everyone everyone else just walks past saying good story. Owen walks up. Like, so shakes, did the children's memories get... The, the children's memories got wiped. Yes, the children's memories got wiped. Okay, everybody else knows that. Yeah, so so Owen walks Jesus by. Jesus Christ! Owen gives her like a little like, uh, mm, grabs her shoulder, and then Uncle Uncle Hank Uncle Henry walks by and like gives her a knowing look and walks in. I'm fucking. I must have just been so well. No, I mean all these things hit me as extremely strange. Yeah. Um. So wait, Henry was there too. Okay. Jesus Christ. But okay. Oh my god. Damn. And then you can see with her looking around the entire wedding and they I think I kind of like what you're, what you're saying here. I mean, it wasn't expressed in particularly well, but I kind of like what's being said here. Yeah, no. I think if they had made that more clear and then didn't do the thing in the last shot where she's looking around the wedding and like it cuts to the one guy, then it cuts to him again, but it's actually like the kid and cuts to like old Indian man cuts to him again. And it's young Owen with like these weird fades. Like if they didn't do that, like the effects on that were like a lifetime movie, dude. Like that last scene had the potential. Like as soon as she said, my middle name is Flora. I was like, okay, so this character is Flora, but there's no fucking way that this was explained. Well, I need to figure this out. And I just yeah. fucking couldn't. And then well, good literally on the internet was like, oh, didn't you like, 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 didn't you fucking notice the fat lady be like, where's Bly Manor? And she's like, there is no Bly Manor. Dude, like, for a show that literally spends 10 hours hammering you with things that are obvious, right? to end with what you're describing here, like, and somehow I, as somebody that was literally taking notes for a podcast watching it, didn't pick up on, I mean, maybe people are listening to this being like, like, yeah, Dan, you're a fucking idiot. I mean, I, I guess, but also you had to look it up. I really, when they said, uh, Flora is the middle name, I went straight to like, oh, they just changed the kids' names to dissociate them with, with the trauma. Right. And she just totally forgot, but no, it's, I, well, yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> I do like the that. middle Again, name no. was supposed to be the proof of like, all these characters are the characters, but I, I hope I'm able to explain it, this to Rachel. There's no purpose in doing that. And then showing us that all of the characters are the characters, which they did. They didn't need to have the line about Flora's middle name being Flora. If that was supposed to prove to us that that was Flora. If this the next knowing game, look that you're describing that, that Owen gave though it was barely anything I yeah. mean like we're talking about the context clues here were so small yeah oh yeah yay well now as we always do we've arrived at time to give this show a rating um, um I hate I hate to be doing this but I'm gonna give Haunting a Blind Manor a 5.5 and I will never 
watch this again. It was <laughs> a, it was an abhorrently boring, overblown, undercooked, repetitive, and derivative mess. Um, shame on them for fucking putting this together and thinking that it was anything less than a complete mental exhaustion. Um, yeah, and we also didn't down. even we didn't even talk about the score, which. In, what score yeah, to, to the degree that it existed was either extremely extremely recycled from hill house or just like so fucking pedestrian i have a feeling it's now being used more effectively in the background of this podcast than it will be on the television show that it was ascribed to yeah anyone who knows me knows that i will take any excuse to buy a vinyl of you it. already I, had it ordered i had it pre-ordered from the moment <laughs> that this and then canceled it was that the that the uh, release date was announced. I pre-ordered the vinyl set, and within four episodes, it. and it's funny because like I when... listen to the Hill House score constantly, Dan. Right, like at work, like, it's my go-to background music. Like when you dropped out is when the show got terrible. So it's so funny, like it directly coincided. You were like, "Oh fuck no, <laughs> <laughs> Dan." What is your Golden Gun rating for 2020's The Haunting? Of Bly Manor. I'm going to give The Haunting of Bly Manor a 6.5. That is egregiously I, high. I feel that... That is stupidly high. While there were tons of aspects... I feel like you need to I look at other things you've given a 6.5 before Listen, you go through there, this. There are tons of things about the show that I don't like. I think a lot of those were informed by my expectations. I think... Damn, 65% of this worked for you? That's I, more than half of it. I'd I'd say maybe I'd maybe yeah I'd say on its own there were there were elements that I I found the main actress's performance alone very compelling. I, I found um, the first time loop episode. I found while I found it tedious, I found it very engaging. It was like watching an episode of Lost to me. That's, where I was, that's Hannah Gross's episode you're yeah, referring to? Yeah. I thought that was the worst episode of the series. I did not feel that way at all. And I, the reveal um, of her being in the well was laughable. Also, the idea that an open well that sits, um, that's had her body in it for like four days straight yeah, doesn't, doesn't have any liquid or she water She doesn't in decompose it. at all either, even yeah, though she's so, been there for literally months. Cool episode. Um, I... <laughs> There were there were a lot of elements of things that I felt that they were trying to do that weren't necessarily executed well, but I liked I liked Danny's character arc. I liked um, I found she did not have a character arc. I found her and she the Gardner's relationship punished. very believable, ridiculous relationship. Um, and I found the set design to be pretty incredible. Looked like a soap opera. That's that's the filming. I don't think the sets looked like a. I, I thought the sets all looked very artificial. I thought that almost all of it looked artificial, including the grounds of the house. I didn't think it had any real atmosphere to them other than shrubs, yeah, which have been. I really liked the grounds to the house. I liked that it felt very self-contained. It was like the house, the lake, the church, and that's it. Um, I so fake looking. I don't know, maybe like a 6.25. Like, cause it, it's I'm like okay the, the reality, the reality is that like, I have all these issues with it, but I still kept watching it. Like I Dude, still- The debate is on tonight. I need you to just be fucking honest. I didn't okay? watch it out of obligation. I watched it because I wanted to know what was going to happen, where there's so many series that I just abandoned midway through because I don't give a shit. 
the fact that like you have not completed incredible series and then somehow pushed through this garbage is just another just I mean how tragedy. am I gonna not push through the sequel to like my favorite season of television ever? well you're saying but you're also saying that you you in a way were glad to do it I was tortured by this when on the moments where I took a step back and tried to look at it as a spooky love story that I'm watching with my partner I saw value in it I challenge anyone to just go watch Crimson Peak. It's the same exact thing, but better. Or a thousand other gothic horror stories, gothic love stories. This was just not the one, and it's just embarrassing. So I, mean, I, th I think there were a ton of missteps. Like in relation to Hill House, it gets a lower grade as its own thing. I think it gets a six point five. I think it tried to spin too many plates. I think they should have had one singular writer for the entirety of the series. Yeah, but, the fact that Flanagan jumped off after the first episode was very telling. But also, Flanagan, she like really, really kept them constrained because he also, when he pitched it, he pitched yeah. the entire last episode as well. He he did the thing where he knew how it started, he knew how it ended. So, and then like, well, those were the only two good parts of the show, so that makes sense. I just, I, I don't know. I could you imagine having the ideas though? Like, I don't. Something I've toiled with in this is just wondering if Flanagan came up with this overarching nonsense that happened throughout the middle of the series or whether he really did set up the beginning of the end, which I found both compelling. Um, and that how could you let other writers come in and be like, we're going to take what could be just a fine enough ghost story, something the way that you're describing it, Dan, like, oh, I want to watch like a good, like horror love gothic ghost story with my partner. Like that's that wasn't this. This was exhausting and frustrating and painful. There was no like there was no like, oh, let's just kick back and like enjoy it. It'll just go by and blah, blah, blah. Every episode, my wife was like, I cannot stand this show. And I agreed fully. And she said something that I don't think she's ever said in dating me, which was, I need to binge this show to be done with it. I've never heard her say that. She was yeah. like, we need to keep watching this because I hate it so much that I need it to be over. And I didn't always agree with her, but by the end of it, I can see that it was that the rating system of out of 10 is is designed for when something is a failure it failed on every aspect as a love story i think it failed as a horror it didn't even begin um as a uh, co coherent sequel to hill house that was the biggest failure so i don't see any wins in this department so i can't go above a five i mean a 5.9 i could stretch it to because some of the things you're saying do resonate um, but this was a failure of a show, and I hate to say that because just like you, I went into it after hearing people bitch about it and thought, I'm going to be the guy that's like, this is my jam. Especially with horror and sci-fi, I'm willing to go to the ends of the earth to fucking defend something if it just hits me in that spot, and this offended me at every level. Yeah, I just like, there are so many times that I watch something that is failing in all of the rules of what what I consider, like not rules, but what I consider to be like pet peeves and like unbreakable rules of filmmaking um, that I have a very visceral reaction to, such as Lovecraft Country, where yeah. like I actively hate every second of it. This, like while this was I was- a little better. I saw all <laughs> sorts of flaws in it. It wasn't upsetting me that way. I was just like, these are missteps, but like ultimately, there is a story here. I want to know what the deal with these kids are. I, I, I just, I, I six point, dude, me giving a six point five to something that I was this fucking excited for, like to me, that's a bad rating. Like, yeah, no, I hear you. There's I mean, no I world where I thought I would give this anything less than an eight point five. Like, 
I thought, I mean, the, you know, predictive reasoning, I could have said that maybe the worst it could be would be a seven. Um, the fact that it's this low is not a failure of it to be scary. It's not a failure of it to be particularly engaging. It's a failure of the most basic things that make horror and television and movie making run. It's a failure of narrative. It's a failure of theme. It is a failure of plot. It was a failure of characterization. It's a failure. Yeah, even, even Kat was like, she was just like, I feel like I knew every step it was about to take three steps before it happens. And she's like, usually I'm annoyed at you for doing that during movies and shows. And this, like, it was unavoidable. She was like, there wasn't a single twist until the last episode. So, people, we have put the blues in movie blues today. And uh, unfortunately, while this was a bumpy ride, um, we'll be following this up with our next Halloween episode, which is um, the Stephen King East Spectacular Trace um, with wow. our buddy Stephen Lasker. We're going to be doing the film Lawnmower Man, which I personally it's thought was a much better film than what I watched for this episode. And um, <laughs> I did not feel that way. <laughs> no. And but Dan watched a version that was about as long as Bly Manor. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, people, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this. We'll see you in the movie Blues Rental Zone, where Dan will be finishing off his, um, I would say, now infamous comedy bracket. Yeah. Um, Dan, any final notes? Um, I just we didn't address the one part in the black and white episode where talk about another random rule of the ghosts is where apparently like ghosts are able to lock themselves in a chest with their jewelry and oh we just went right through that the sister opens the chest and the dress strangles her to death that was um yes uh, as if as if we couldn't have enough like aliens and predators in this movie we added like a 15th alien species that species was a ghost that was contained in a clothing box I would say that my favorite moment my favorite moment in the series is the first time that we see like a faceless woman in the attic which ends up being the old the little sister from the 1700s and and, and, and the little girl just turns around and shushes her she's like moaning and shit Dude, I mean that was an effective moment, but it, it wasn't paid off or made any sense too. It's no, not like it didn't pay off at all. It's not like the girl had any control over those ghosts, um, and if she did, it was never explained other than like she has a dollhouse. Um, no, it, it was that she already knew the entirety of the situation because Peter Quint had been manipulating them into this whole elaborate plot. Well. We're falling back down a very cyclical rabbit rabbit hole here, which is very reminiscent of um, everything I watched for this. So uh, thanks for bringing us back to that and disappointing me one more time. I'm going to now take my score because of the jewelry ghost down to a 5.4. And (laughs) (laughs) and I honestly forgot. Um, And uh, yeah, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. And um, uh, we're looking forward to, like I said, finishing the comedy bracket. Um, and by looking forward to, I mean, it's going to be a great relief on both of our lives. Um, and we'll be chasing that up with a little different activity, uh, for the rental zone that might shake things up a little bit and cause people to vote incorrectly just, for six you, weeks. Yeah. Just you motherfuckers wait until the, fun- the finals of this fucking comedy bracket. There are surprises and twists coming um, in the structure of what we're up to, too. We have grand overarching plans like Jigsaw as well. We just don't feel the need to write a 10-hour series about it. Dan, any final thoughts? No, that's that's good. You want to grab a stolen baby off Jeffrey Epstein's plane and try to bring no, it to a place where it could be rescued? I feel like this this series took all the babies out of me. <laughs>
Let's just let's just, let's just leave Baby! it. <laughs> Can you just leave it with a thirty-minute loop of Carla saying she walks, she she wakes. Sure. Here you go, guys. Enjoy. She falls down the stairs. She vapes. <laughs> <laughs> she drops out of college. Dan, thank you very much. I'll yes. see you next time. <laughs>